My name's Nikki Truman. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? You only get into, out, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today, we're talking to Nikki Truman. Yeah, my name's Nikki Truman. I'm 45 years of age, mum of three, and my dad is a Chesterfield legend. I'm joined in the studio by Anthony Olsen. Anthony, how are we, mate? Good. We've still got an absentee. Yeah, we have. He's still doing his house, isn't he? Ah. Still doing his house. Still. Probably out shopping for curtains or something. Yeah. Oh. We wish him well with that endeavour. I do, to be honest, because I reckon there is a statistic out there that says, you know, household projects cause divorces, so... He's not even married yet. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly get married so you can get a, a quickie divorce. Um, but yes, we miss you, Ryan. The listeners miss you. Yeah. Good luck with the uh, the home building. I don't think you have to build a home, just decorating, isn't it? Well, I think it's more like interior. Yeah. Smash everything up. Lawrence Llewellyn Pulford. <laughs> yes. Very good. Very good. We're obviously here with Nikki Truman's episode today. Yeah. Nikki Truman, who is Ernie Moss's daughter. Mm. Ernie Moss, who was Chesterfield's all-time top goal scorer, is Chesterfield's all-time top goal scorer. Mm. So, the opening question for today, Anthony, mm. is who is your favourite goal scorer from football history? Oh, um... Jordan Sloop, no. Um, I was about to say, is it Jordan Sloop? Is it Jordan? No, it's not. Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry. Yeah, he made goals look cool, didn't he? It's just everything about him. Mm. Just so good. I mean, it's, it's a really hard thing to narrow down. Yeah. But I did have a big love him for Thierry. Do you remember? I remember him. I don't think it was a goal, but he did. There was a bit where I remember him doing keep-ups, like running down the touchline on his knees and that. It was just stuff at the start of like the turn of the century where he just just took over mm. games I mean that goal against Spurs you know and I, 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 I agree he was in one of the best teams in to have a great but he was the best player in the best team but yeah but he which was I do so think is, is is like I mean he, he made that it's to the point where he made a finish the Thierry Henry finish oh yeah like, all it was was running down the left and slotting it across the keeper into the far corner just a little curl on it and yeah. that and, you're like, oh. and like he knew he was good and he had that aura about him. Yeah, and he, was, oh, he was wonderful, wasn't and he? And he did a bit... Then when he came back in that FA Cup game, he had a beard. Yeah. That was gorgeous, that, wasn't it? Yeah, he's probably my favourite goal scorer. So just to watch, I think. And it must have something to do with the team as well, because you know they played really nice football. Yeah, but they there, were there are a lot. Like, Some nice kits as well. There are a lot. I mean, honourable mentions for the likes of Shearer and stuff like that, which was just more blood and thunder really wasn't yeah. it it's just oh there's a ball it's smashed the cover off it this ball needs to go in the goal and it's going and it is going and in it's there. going because my name is place. Alan if my name isn't Alan Shearer but even like you know I think as I got older you start appreciating like the the foxes and the boxes you know you've had this Roy's and all that and you're like Van Nistelrooy's got one goal outside the, outside the box <laughs> like it's glorious how, how do you do that I mean like it's just so good like, but yeah Henri 
there is something about a goal scorer that like so we've got James Vaughan at the moment I'd mm. categorise him as a as a goal scorer mm. he's on about 12 already this season and there is sort of lovely about the fact that like you just have like we didn't have a goal scorer for so long at Tramia and then we had two in Cuff yeah. and Norwood and we had we had one season with Ryan Lowe but we did get relegated yes. he still scored about 21 goals that yeah. season which was bananas but there is something lovely about a goal scorer there is Joe uh, you know another one as well um, Billy Sharp Billy Sharp Billy Sharp and just because he's, I mean I think he's got some ridiculous stats over like the year from the year 2000 or something I, or the I was, decade or I was looking at it I was looking at it before he's the I think he's the third top goal scorer in championship history the top goal scorer in league one history and he is the got the like the quickest like the most you know like the shortest yeah. goals to minutes ratio he, in the championship ever I mean so good just it's so ridiculous. good and you look at them like every type of goal and it's like no, and they not. and he loves scoring yeah, them balls like you've scored a billion of these <laughs> running off like a kid <laughs> it's so good obviously he went back to Sheffield United that season when he got promoted and like it just it just carried like it just carried the goal. you need goals I'll get them yeah Billy Sharp scores goals that's yeah. what he does yeah. and it's it, you know even sticking in the Premier League he still scores goals for yeah. them yeah and he's like 30, 30 odd now 35 or something you're like I don't want him to ever stop yeah it's like <laughs> Kevin just, Phillips is the same yeah. money. Just, oh. just every level every team you'd get goals out of him it's superb I think I mean when you have that habit I mean obviously you're playing up front they're going to get yeah. they're going to get the chances when you have that habit, like I mean, we've seen strikers who can't, yeah, can't do it, yeah. but they'll do other things. Oh, and he's not a natural goal scorer. And you're like, how was that possible? And you're yeah. like, oh, there is, there is a skill to it. I don't know what it is, but there is a skill to mm. it. I have no idea what it is because I, I can't do it myself. But I, I, there is. One. It's just being. It's like Vaughan, Vaughan, James Vaughan, who we mentioned before. Yeah. He's a really good example of just being in the right place at the yeah. right time, and it's not an accident. Just there, and and you know, it it it's yeah, it's it's it's. I'm not going to say worth its weight in goal because I think it's been proven that that's a, a, a daft saying. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I feel like the person that I've picked is now a little bit of a come down from Go Thierry on. Henry. Go on. Um, I went for Ross McCormack. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Ross McCormack and Thierry Henry. I always wow. really liked Ross McCormack. Okay. I just always thought he was a brilliant footballer. I liked when and he, he always, couldn't get out of his house. That, well, that was what I was thinking of. <laughs> he was brilliant. And then he couldn't get out past his gate. Remember that? I had to phone Steve Bruce up. Hello, Stevie. I can't get out of my house. <laughs> and it's, Steve Bruce must have just been like, what on earth is happening here? Like, why is there a little Scottish man who can't get out of his house? He cost us like £20 million. Pound. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah, you know, he was good. Good, yeah, good goal scorer. Why, why? I don't know. I just really liked him. I just, just always just liked him. Do you know what I feel like it was? There was a period where he was playing for Leeds. Yeah. I think he scored like 30 goals for Leeds in the Championship one season. Yeah. And I just remember Leeds always seemed to be on on the midday kickoff. Mm. So I always used to watch them. There's a reason for that. Yeah, true. But he's just, he always looked a cut above McCormack. Yeah. He also reminds me a little bit of Wayne Rooney, which, which always helps for me. Does everyone remind you of Wayne Rooney? Just want to look in the mirror. Yeah, okay. There he is. Oh, there he is. There he is. Yeah. Just, I love that type of player who, like, no pace. Yeah. Looks a little bit overweight. Just, just kind of ambling around. We're going yeah. somewhere in, aren't we? Uh, Ross, if you're listening, <laughs> I can give you his address. I'd love him to come round. It'd be great. I'd sit down and tell him about all of his favourite goals that I've seen him score. It'd be great. Anyway, moving on. Ernie Moss, Nicky Truman. Yeah. So, Ernie Moss was awesome quite the goal scorer was, for, yeah, for yeah. Chesterfield I think do you know what you mentioned in this episode 
the, the perfect hat trick he scores away at Walsall, mm-hmm. which I think because of the era that he played in, the club that he played in, there's not like Reams, you know, there's not Ross McCormack levels of highlights of Ernie on on YouTube, but there are plenty of of, of videos of the, the the goals that he scored, and mm-hmm. that one's a really good one because the quality of the video is really good, yeah. and the goals are absolutely superb, <laughs> all three of them. <laughs> they know. are proper strikers' goals, them like. You know, when you you think about like the football back in the seventies and shit, and people go. It's always used like, oh, but it wasn't that quick and it wasn't that athletic and it says not anything. Well, yeah, but if you've seen the football it's played, it's probably quite a skill to, to be that good yeah. if you're not that athletic yeah, and you're out exactly. in the aisle all the time. So, you know, it, it's um, it, it's a bit of a bit of a slight on them. But yeah, you know, that that had to. I looked it up because I was I was just quite interested because I didn't. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't really aware of of who Annie Moss was, and then I looked at him and I was like, who's some player? This guy. It's got like two hundred goals, Chesterfield. Yeah. Some, like, I know. It's, it's mad. The interview itself with Nicky is more about kind of Ernie's life mm. after football and issues with dementia and, and then maybe some of the, the, the broader issues that have that have that have come with that have been quite highlighted in the in the news recently. Mm. So I suppose then for us in terms of wanting to speak to Nicky for our kind of MO would be around for mental health in terms of Nicky and the family and for Ernie himself. Dementia, as we know, is is such a debilitating, such a such a, a horrific mm-hmm. disease, and for people who are living around that person, and Nikki says it herself, to see like the person drain away almost in front of you, and you can tell in the, the emotion that Nikki talks with in this interview, and it's not the first interview that she's given about no. about her dad, but you can tell every time she speaks him just how high she holds him as yeah. a as an individual, and 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 the the emotion in her voice talking about what's happened over the you know, the previous years and, 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 and I suppose for them and for the same for, for Jeff Astle's family as well and litany of other footballers, unfortunately, that are in the same position, yeah. former footballers, is the recognition of, of this problem, the recognition of, of, of it as a broader issue. Mm, I think it's, you know, as you say, at, at the moment, it's it, it really is in the news and obviously it goes through, through waves and stuff, but it feels like it's holding a bit more more of a stand at the moment. I Do think. you think this is a genuine question? Because we're going to, after the interview, we're going to have a, obviously a little bit more of a chat, but the most recent incident that's kind of prompted a lot of these conversations was the Raul Jimenez and David mm. Luiz incident. Now, I wondered if, because it took place in a stadium with no fans, everyone heard the noise of when their heads clashed, that I wonder if that kind of visceral representation of the the risks involved now obviously with Ernie and with some of the other footballers mm-hmm. it's more about the repeated mm-hmm. use of, of the head head and the heavy footballs but I suppose in terms of something needs to be drastic to put it in the forefront of people's minds I wondered if that was for, for, for kind of modern day viewers something that just went look how dangerous this can be and the protection that these players I mean I David think, Luiz yeah, came back onto the pitch yeah, I think so I, I, it would I mean the noise would Definitely shock it. I think that is what when you watch boxing, the hit shock yeah. it, the, the the noise, the, yeah. the, the you know you see them slow motion ones as well. Yeah, I I would say yeah, I'd say that's probably mm. why it's why it's there. But it's you know it's it's holding more stead because people are more comfortable coming forward and saying it in, in every sport this as well. Yeah, you know the last couple of weeks and and obviously we've had I mean Dave Bra- Dean Barber Windsor passed away with with dementia as well and it it's a uh, it's a disease in my mind and just from my my very um, probably limited knowledge of it 
that oh, it just happens when you get older. It happens when you get older. Not everyone gets it. And you look at the yeah. statistics, and they're frightening. Yeah, they're like one in three people, <laughs> and it's absolutely frightening. Yeah, and I know statistics can be be made to be whatever they want to be, but it's a it's a it's a disease, and the, the diseases that are just ignored in sports. Mm. And I think particularly with football, you know, and we'll talk about it after the interview. But you know, we we have reactions of varying degrees, mm. really, from that one incident. So. Um, and obviously, we do have a theme for the, for this week. We do, yeah, we do. Um, do you want to give us the theme, Ant? Yeah, we, yeah, sure. There's one only. There's, sorry, I'll do that again. There's only one Ernie Moss. There is only one Ernie Moss. There's only one Ernie Moss, and and do you know what? As you said before, the passion in which Nikki speaks about yeah. about her dad is is you know really heartwarming. And when we were doing it at the kitchen table, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to talk to her about her, her dad and all the stuff that she, he's gone through. It's quite emotional. Yeah, it was. Um, and so, you know, there is a little bit of warning there for you. It is a little bit emotional. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit tough, but it's, it's, one of it's those, really important. Yeah, it's one of those interviews and we do, we've had quite a few of them where it's both quite emotional, but also uplifting yeah. in a way as well, because the the, the love and the, the affection yeah. that Nikki has for her dad and their family all seem to together is, is heartwarming, but equally it's just sad that, yeah. that they've had to go through this as a, as a family and, and that, you know, there's a really nice video on YouTube which I'll clip a little bit of and put it at the end of the episode, which was on the Ernie Moss day when they play Port Vale. Mm. And they come out of the tunnel, um, Ernie and Nicky and some of the other members of the family, and the, the, all the Chesterfield fans are, are chanting his name as well. Yeah. It's just lovely. It's just a really nice... And it's one of those examples, again, of you know the, the positive power that football can have on, you know, on, on, on remembering and respecting people and that sort of thing. And we've seen a lot of examples in the last few weeks of when that hasn't happened. Yeah. So it's always good to highlight when it does happen. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to leave you with Nicky Truman's episode. You're listening to Man Marking and we will see you on the other side. Would you be able to give our listeners a bit of an idea as to why you agreed to do an interview for us, Nikki? Yeah, I mean, I'm um, everything I talk about is like obviously to raise awareness of dementia in football, but um, I'm totally um, aware of how important sport, not just football, but sport and um, fitness, nutrition is for mental health. Um, and you know men are always sort of they're, they're told you know like you're supposed to man up and, and whatnot um, and anything that gets men talking um, you know be it about mental health or that you know even just the football scores um, it's it's a good thing to get get you talking and um, not to keep things sort of you know, locked inside. Um, mental health is very important. Obviously, it's very of the moment. It's in the news. Um, so anything that can, um, you know, bring that to the fore is all for the good. Yeah, of course. And I think you've you've put it really well there. It's just about getting the getting the conversation going any way you can, which is what we're what we're trying to do with on, with the podcast. You you mentioned your your dad there, and for our listeners who, who don't know about you, who your dad is. Do you want to give them a, a sort of overview of, of who he is and and, 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 a, and his career? Yeah, um, my dad, he uh, is Ernie Moss. Um, he started his career when he was 17. Um, he got 
to picked it's 1967 I think um and he got picked to play for Chesterfield which I mean for him that was all his dreams come true he was being paid money to play football um he's a 70 year old um chap um he's had three spells at Chesterfield um he's still their all-time leading goal scorer um, and he's had spells also, you know, at Port Vale, Peterborough, Doncaster Rovers, Lincoln, Scarborough, Stockport, Kettering, Mansfield. You know, the list goes on and on. Um, and then even after that, um, he still then went on to manage like non-league. Um, he went into scouting for Fulham, um, different other clubs. So he's always, always had his, you know, always had football on the brain, really. <laughs> and when um, when he came back to Chesterfield for his, his third spell, I suspect you were probably about, about 10, 9 or 10 at that sort of time. Yeah. Do you have much memory of your of your dad's career when you were when you were a child? Um yeah. I mean, when I've been doing interviews before, it's quite funny because people always ask you, like, you know, what was your favourite goal? What was your favourite match? But for me and my sister, my my younger sister, Sarah, um, it's much more about um, personal memories. So, for instance, when Dad scored, he always, he knew where we sat in the stand. He always looked up to where we sat and waved. Um, and if he didn't, then there would be, you know, It'd be hell to pay. Uh, <laughs> and then he was always the last one out of the changing room. And me and my sister were always stood at the door of the changing room, you know, the smell of deep heat wafting out, waiting for him. Um, and it's, you know, being stopped for autographs um, as we went about just, you know, and going to school and everybody sort of, you know, um, my nickname was Baby Ernie. Um, so it was very much, it was more personal uh, memories rather than, I mean, I, you know, I, I can remember watching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games, uh, but for my childhood memories are more um, sort of running around the club um, after the match. Once all the fans had gone, you know, we had the run of the pitch, the run of the stands. <laughs> um, that was like our childhood playground. So there are a lot they're a lot more personal rather than, you know, which is your favourite goal, which is your favourite match. Um, but I do remember it very fondly, very vividly, and our whole life has revolved around football. Were you aware at, at a young age the the status that your dad held at the, at the club? I know you had said that you had a, a nickname and, and that sort of thing, but... Did you quite grasp how important he was at the time? Um, no, I don't think so, because um, Dad's always been really, really humble. Um, in fact, whenever, you know, before he got ill, if anybody ever called him a legend, he always used to say, oh, you mean a leg end? Um, <laughs> he was, he's never understood, you know, people would stop him and afterwards they'd say, why do they want my autograph? He really played it down completely. So to us, um, he was dad um, and dad played football. I mean, we had a car with his name across the side, which to me and my sister was just completely and utterly embarrassing. <laughs> um, but 
you know that it was normal dad he you know um he trained every day of his life um so football was just our life there was it we didn't know any different um and it it wasn't until sort of late i mean i knew you know that he was chessfield leading goal scorer and that he was held in such high esteem um but it wasn't until i was older um and particularly when dad became ill that i realized how loved he was and you know how how much people um adored him mm. i think that's the right way i think from you, you know you you'll know yourself as a as a as a football fan and and we're the same you 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 do adore those players and i think i, I wonder if because your dad played for a, a a club in Chesterfield that's not massively dissimilar to to our club Tranmere in terms of stature and size and and that sort of thing. Do you think there is something in the you know it being the the local club and and there being that sort of tight knit community around it that that made it all the more special for him? I think so. Also, like he was a Chesterfield lad, born and bred. Um, so when he got picked to play, you know, to play for Chesterfield, I mean, it, he always said he'd have played for nothing. Um, so for him, you know, to be scouted and signed and to be paid money to play football, that was just his dream. And it was his club, um, his town, his hometown, it's where, you know, where we lived all our lives. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's like I say, it's his hometown, it's his club, he's always supported Chesterfield. Um, so it was just a dream come true. Um, and then obviously the fans realised that he was a local lad um, and he had such dedication to the club. Um, and I mean, you know, still up until last year, we took him to every single home game. So, you know, he's always, he's just a Chesterfield lad through and through. Mm. And so following your dad's career, he, he it's obviously... Um, developed uh, dementia and those sort of symptoms started displaying in his 50s is that right yeah that's right yeah and for for anyone who's listening who doesn't you know who's not had any experience with with dementia and, and you know what it what it looks like what type of symptoms were they early on well i mean to us as a family it was really difficult because um i've only ever sort of heard of dementia mentioned um like as in Alzheimer's, which is old people, um, you know, you forget um, who people are. Um, so we'd got no idea that, you know, there was such a thing as early onset dementia. So when dad first started um, becoming ill, um, we didn't, so it's not we didn't take it seriously. Um, he what first sort of triggered it for us was it became uninterested in football which to us was like whoa th mm. we know this is wrong because i mean all our like you know he 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 watched match of the day he watched every you know every football match um our life revolved around football so when he became sort of not not interested we would thought oh, there's something wrong um then he became a bit short-tempered and not himself. And to start off with, we thought maybe it was uh, because he'd sort of retired from football um, 
he was only doing the charity matches and it was sort of maybe it was missing the changing room banter, you know, the football environment because that was, you know, he's he was such a sarcastic so and so. It was, you know, like we thought maybe that's what is missing is you know his teammates and whatnot. Um, but then as it continued, we realised that there was something wrong. So we, you know, we took him to the doctors um, on numerous occasions. And because dad was, I mean, still even now, he doesn't look ill. Um, mm. You know, he's six foot odd, big, fit, strong chap. Um, and he, like I say, he was only in his 50s. So the, um, the doctors sort of dismissed our concerns. And they'd ask dad, they'd say, are you all right? And he'd go, yeah, I'm fine, fine, superb, everything's fine. And they completely dismissed us. Um, and in fact, it took about 10 years to actually get him a proper diagnosis of us. And that was us kept taking him back, kept taking him back. And as he was getting worse, um, but they didn't, believers because he looked so physically fit and strong you know he was still going running he would still be playing football in charity matches but it was just we knew as a family um because we adored him so much we knew that there was something wrong um so you know it 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 was gradual um and yeah it's ju- it's just been such a well it's just such a devastating disease yeah and for for obviously people who don't know your dad what what type of person was he or is he sorry no it's i mean he's always been like i say he's always been modest very modest man impeccable manners um very eloquent um very well spoken in fact the the word that apart from legend people have said to me over and over is that is a gentleman um and that's really you know who he was um he was just a gentleman um very mild mannered um you know on the pitch as well um he was dedicated um to to training you know he never drank he never smoked um Football was his life. That was his job. It, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't go out clubbing or do it. You know, all the sort of stereotypical footballers, what you would imagine. Dad was the polar opposite. He was at home with us, um, and that was what you know. As we sort of saw him fade, um, they were the things that sort of um, he lost his um manners um he lost his sent well eventually he lost his speech as well um but it was the sort of just chipping away at the man that he was um you know and the gentleman that he was so does he feel maybe like a, a a different person nowadays than from what you remember um it's really really difficult because when you look at him he still looks exactly the same mm. um and 
the hardest thing for me apart you know apart from obviously the illness as a whole has been his loss of speech because you know he was always so well spoken and we always had such banter you know um and now I still give him the banter and so does my sister but it's one-sided because obviously he can't answer it um so he is you know a different person um is the is a shadow of who he was but he's still our dad and he's still my hero and what sort of impacted did the the onset and the the developments of of the condition have on on you and the rest of the family it's well it's been absolutely devastating we've as a family i mean my mom honestly she is like an angel uh she's kept like dad he's he was at home um for i think it, about 15 years and she cared for him obviously in gradual stages of his decline um to start off with it you know it was just basic having to sort of um remind him to do things we kept on um making him do things so that he would still remember how to do them but eventually um he just failed you know he he, he couldn't care for himself he couldn't wash um feed himself um just nothing so he needed constant care um my mum cared for him forever um always you know through the night um and when she needed a break um my my sister or myself we took it in turns we'd move in and do everything for him um and like I said, it's the speech for me was the hardest thing. Um, for my mum, um, she's sort of she's lost a not just a husband, but a best friend and a soulmate. Mm. Um, because they had such a good marriage, you know, and I can't ever remember them having a fight or they were just constant, you know, they were just together always and happy. Um, so she suddenly turned into his carer um so to watch him fade sort of gradually before us um has been harrowing and then like for the grandkids um to see granddad as he is um you know that i play them clips of him talking in interviews or you mm. know on um, and they're like, whoa, granddad, you know, they they can't believe, you know, who he was. Yeah. Um, but I mean, f I suppose in, in one respect, we're lucky that we have those memories on tape that we can, yeah. you know, we can look back on them and uh, remember. But, you know, it it is such a devastating illness um, and sort of, with him being so young um in in terms of the the disease um that i think that's the the hardest part and because he doesn't look ill yeah that was one of the striking things i noticed actually when i was 
putting some of the the, the research and stuff together for before we we did the interview. And he was the looking at your dad as you say you you wouldn't you I wouldn't even have guessed that he was that he was seventy. He he, he yeah. looks considerably younger than that. In terms of the the dynamic between your you and you and the rest of your family between you know, your, your your siblings and your and your mom, did that change the way that you were as a family in terms of did it create a bit of a like a community feel like you kind of pulled you together or did it become quite fractious? How did that kind of alter the the dynamic within your household? Um, it's sort of we've always been very close. Um. And to, to start off with, um, mum didn't want anybody to know about dad's illness because, um, you know, she's very private. Um, it's me that does all the talking. <laughs> um, so she wanted to keep it to herself. And then it got to the point where we were taking dad to football um, and be like you say, because he doesn't look ill, people were coming up to us um, and they'd be hiring, you know, and dad would either say something completely random or he'd be, um, it, you know, he'd do something that was completely out of character. And I didn't want anybody to think badly of him um, because he'd always um he's always had such you know manners and um such dignity and i so i i said you know we need to speak out about this um and i've probably spoken out about this more than mum would want me to but that's sort of how i deal with it um but as a family we just did whatever we needed to do for dad um be that you know, move. I'd move in for a week while my mum had a break. Then my sister would move in. Um, you know, she uh, she's on her own with two kids, so she'd have to take her kids with her. Um, I left mine at home with my husband. Um, you know, we'd do everything that we could to ease the burden on mum so to speak, although she didn't see it as a burden. Um, but, you know, there's only so much care that, you know, when it's 24-7 um, and when you're up in the night, you, it's just completely draining, um, not only uh, physically, but emotionally. It is so um, hard, you know, because obviously you like, it's like when I, you know, I'm showering my dad, um you know it, it's a it's not something that you would expect to be doing when he was sort of only in his 60s um so it's a very harrowing thing to do but we just we would do whatever because we love dad and I'd do anything for him um and mum was the same you know she would just we, we just pulled together as a family um to care for him as long as we could at home and Nikki, as well as tirelessly working to support your dad um, at home, you've also been working really hard campaigning to raise awareness um, following the revelations about links between dementia and football. It's probably something that isn't publicised 
as loudly as it should be. Um, there's been some recent things around youngsters not heading the football. Uh, but could you just let us know sort of what those links are and, and, and what we know to date? Um, I mean, the field study is sort of, um, you know, I've been following it. Um, I'm in touch with Dawn Astle and the Jeff Astle Foundation. So it's sort of um, following the studies as well as like helping with dad. Um, we've always thought that there was a direct link between um, head injuries, head trauma, um, you know, dementia and the football. Um, but it's been a very, very slow progress to actually get anybody to listen. Obviously, Dawn um, has fought tirelessly. I mean, her dad passed away in 2002, I think it was, Jeff died. Um, and she has fought and fought um, and been ignored, basically. Um, so to actually have a study that, you know, all right, it's a bit late coming, um, but actually have a study coming out now that can um, help children and help players today's players and ones in the future um to actually have you know have some awareness um and to make them aware of the symptoms so that and to make the doctors aware so that um they can get help earlier on if necessary um you know anything that's sort of pushing that um awareness just the campaigning, raising money, anything that we can do uh, to help with the campaign is is good. And as somebody who does actively campaign to raise more awareness, do you feel like it is a battle you're winning or is it something that still could be doing maybe a lot more from, from the awarding bodies and the support network set up to, to support oh, you further? I think a lot could be done. I mean, when when sort of dad was first diagnosed um we we didn't get any support at all from the pfa um and i've spoken to dawn and numerous other families and they're exactly the same um and in fact up you know up until up to now mum has still not had any correspondence from gordon taylor he's not acknowledged um dad or Jeff Astle or any anybody, he's sort of just up there in his ivory tower. Um, we have had some success over the last couple of years, um, which is due to Richie Humphreys, who's at the PFA. Yeah. Um, and he was also at Chesterfield. So we knew him from Chesterfield um, and he helped us immensely. Um, he sort of liaised and we managed to get the bathroom um you know sort of converted so it was accessible to dad and also to have some costs towards his care but up until richie stepped in we had nothing do you find that the most of the positive reaction you get is from almost like the local community everyday fans and um, we, we often talk about how positive a vehicle football can be and football fandom can be. Is that something you found during your campaign? 
Oh yeah, um, we have had so much support from um, the fans, not just Chesterfield fans, but just fans generally um, from Chesterfield Football Club and you know other clubs, and also players, um, you know dads, ex teammates, but also current players. Um, in fact, it just seems to be the um, higher up you go. The less, the less bothered they are, really. The you know the the fans um, are just immense. You know that their support has been so they've they've carried us a lot yeah. of the time. Uh, when we, you know the messages that send you their stories, their memories, um, it just picks you up when you know when you just sat in a heap crying. Um, so yeah, it seems to be the higher up you get, the less bothered they are. Yeah, that that's a very good point. That it's that grassroots element of football where it's the community that ends up doing the job that the association should be doing. When it, in re, in reality, if you look at money and resource and football as a business, it probably should be the other way around. Um, Without sort of putting you on the spot, what what more could you or would you like to see the PFA be doing? Maybe not just in isolated cases, but in general, from your experience. Um. Well, I mean, to start off with, Mum, um, she always said, and I think if if I'm not um, mistaken, that Dawn's mum was also the same. That actually to have had a phone call from somebody at the PFA, um, for instance, Gordon Taylor, just to actually acknowledge that our loved ones were suffering. And um, it, it what, it's not even about the money. It was actually acknowledging that they were ill. You know, these these players have paid into the PFA all their lives. Um, and they were just ignored. So to actually acknowledge their illness to start off with would have been a um, a start, really. Um, but the 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 PFA should be funding. Uh, obviously, the study um, should have started when Jeff passed away. Um, but it's been put off and hidden under the carpet, and you know they've sort of gone a bit quiet and then there's been a bit of a campaign so then they've had to do it uh, but because the a lot of these men um, and there are a lot of them a lot of these players ex-players are falling ill at an early age so sort of in their 50s there are absolutely no facilities for um, people with dementia or brain injuries of that age um we sort of we were offered um knitting singing for the brain which are very um aimed towards the elderly um people with alzheimer's but there's nothing in place um i've spoken to dawn before about having a facility um where the players can go safely it's funded by the pfa um, it's got, you know, um, maybe an astro pitch so that they can have a kickabout because dad would still, before um, he became really ill, he would have loved to have a kickabout 
but there's nowhere that we could take him safely. Um, you know, somewhere that is based specifically for these men that, you know, are young, itch, fit, healthy, apart from the brain injury that they've, you know, uh, that they've got from um, from playing football. Is football taking the subject seriously enough as an industry? Um, I don't think at a higher level they are. Like like I said, um, you know, everything that we've done, um, fundraising and things, um, and, you know, like the club, like Chesterfield's been amazing. They've given us... Um, season tickets to take dad to the matches they've given us you know allocated seating that um is easy for dad to get to um so they've been amazing as of the fans you know but i don't think i think like you say the acknowledgement um the higher up they don't want to acknowledge it because they're scared of the money aspect they think that um, you know, there's going to be all these big lawsuits and and whatnot. Um, and for us, no amount of money can bring our dad back to how he was. So money is completely irrelevant. Um, but knowing that this is not going to happen to somebody else's family in the future um, is... You know, that's what we strive for. I can't imagine the disappointments, really, from from yourselves and that you must feel when there isn't that acknowledgement. You know, your dad's basically put his body on the line for a club and a community and given so many people um, happy, happy memories of goals scored. I've just watched a pair for Patrick against Walsall, um, which was <laughs> absolutely superb. I can't. I can't stress enough. Like hearing you speak there, that that is extremely disappointing. So if, if that's from my point of view, I can't imagine what your family has gone through, uh, gone through that process. Because it took us so long to actually get him a diagnosis. Um, you know, there are medications available which he could have maybe had, which may have sl- slowed the progress. Um, and then as he got worse. There's been nothing in place. You know, we've had to fight for everything. Um, but to help him, we've, it's nothing's been easy. Um, even even to the point of um, my mum wasn't eligible for carer's allowance because they, they would take a pension offer if she got carer's allowance. It, it You know, it's really is sort of it's it's we've fought every step of the way to get everything that we can for dad to keep his dignity and his pride um and it is it's just it's disappointing it's yeah yeah, yeah I, I just listening to you speak you know that, that it just does sound disappointing um but i read an article about the tributes from the chest from chesterfield as part of your dad's uh 70th birthday late last year um, yeah, and I, I've just read the Port Vale and, and Chesterfield is is the the Ernie Moss game. How were those days for yourself? You know, walking out onto those pitches and 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 seeing all those fans. 
Um, the the first time uh, that we that they did the Port Vale, um, it was it was it was quite overwhelming. Um, I mean, we'd sort of had a lot of messages from fans, um, but then actually going out onto the pitch um, with with our children who were like, "Whoa, this is you know, this is for our granddad. This is amazing." Um, and then you know raising a lot of money. Um, then we've done a couple. We've done a couple of charity matches um, that have raised quite a lot for dementia. Um, and then on his seventieth, um, that was sort of well. Unfortunately, that was the last game that he has been to um, because he became very ill after that. Um, but they, they contacted us and said they wanted to do a minute's applause on the 70th minute um, and it would be on BT Sport. So, you know, we were taking that anyway um, and, you know, the fans stood up and did a minute applause. And, but it was after that when the fans continued to stand up and chant Ernie, Ernie, Ernie. And I just completely lost it and was just in floods of tears. Um, I was so proud, um, you know, just to be be part of that and to see. I mean, Dad had a beaming smile on his face. Um, and it's just it, the, the pride that we have in him is immense. And, you know, how wonderful the club and the fans have been. Um, they've named the road outside the club is named the dad now. Um, so there's a lot of things that have been done um, because to us, he's, he's our dad and we don't see him any differently as, you know, uh, we still take, take the mickey out of him and we still <laughs> joke around and he's always laughing and smiling. Um, but that's the only way that we can deal with it. We can't. Um, we don't know any other way to react, really. I don't think there's any problem with, with a bit of laughter. Um, do you ever remind <laughs> him that the only penalty he took, he, he missed? <laughs> yes, yep. I, that was on his testimonial. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mightily impressive that all those goals that he scored, 200 and plus goals, not one was a penalty. Yep, yes, he was. Uh, no, it, that was not his strong point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, earlier this year, obviously, we've had the coronavirus situation um, and Ernie, unfortunately, contracted the virus um, and obviously he's in a, in a home himself and it, it's been a, a well-known story and, and, and well-publicised how difficult that has been for care homes up and down the country. Um, just as a... As 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 your you know your daughter, how how difficult was that time? Well, and it still is truly horrific. I mean, we unfortunately over Christmas, Dad became very ill, and he had to be he had to go into full time care with full time nursing care, um, and that nearly broke us to be to be honest, because to give up his care because we'd done it you know for so many years and to pass to pass that over we sort of felt we were failing him um and then when 
sort of I was watching the news avidly, um, you know, about the coronavirus. Um, and then as soon as it came on about the, the problem in the care home, and I just said to my husband, I can't watch this anymore. I just can't deal with it. Um, and then we we had a phone call to say that dad had um, a really high temperature and was unwell and that they had some cases in his care home. And then a week later, he was that uh, he tested positive. So it was a case of we we were phoning up. Uh, my sister had phoned in the morning. I'd phone sort of after tea time, you know, to check his temperature, to check because um, you feel so helpless. Because uh, you know they're your loved ones. You want to be there looking after them, to cuddle them. Um, you just feel, you know, totally. You, you just don't know what to do um and you, you're thinking he's there on his own he, you know we we need to be there but obviously we can't um and we're relying on the carers and the nurses who are just like angels um and you know fortunately we are one of the lucky families um and that dad managed to fight the disease um, and he's now on the mend. Um, it's the hardest thing is not has been not been able to see him and cuddle him. Um, and just finally, Nikki, for, for anyone yeah. who's who listening who has a loved one with dementia, um, just kind of what advice would you give them uh, just about coping with that process as a family, uh, and just any advice in general, really? Um, I think. To start off with, obviously, that we struggled with getting a diagnosis. So um, to start off with, if if you think that there's something wrong with a loved one um, and the doctor says, you know, sort of just dismisses, keep going back, um, trust your instinct, gut, um, if you think that there's something wrong because, um, you know, doctors are be- becoming more aware now that dementia and head injuries you know can affect people at a younger age so you know there might be some help available and medication to help slow the progress or ease some of the symptoms um so just keep going back um and it's i suppose it's the same with um not just dementia but any um it's you know depression anything just because somebody looks fine doesn't mean that they are um so you know be tolerant be aware that you know not every disability can be seen um it i'm really very vocal about that <laughs> um because you know people can be suffering from all manner of diseases um or issues and you know it doesn't always show so always be tolerant of of others um like you said keep a sense of humor because (laughs) um laughter you know sort of carries you through um always talk to your loved ones um even if they can't answer you back um just you know keep their pride and dignity intact um and just cherish the time that you've got together and just love them and as a family just try i mean 
you know there are times when you're going to argue or disagree but just try and stick together um and you know your main aim you know why you're all doing what you're doing and that's because you love the person that you're caring for welcome back to man marken i'm still with with ant in the studio so as we mentioned before that interview was obviously a quite an emotional interview quite you know a lot of stuff for, for nikki to talk about there both about her dad as a as a person and as a as a player mm. and then the subsequent sort of I suppose treatment that they feel as though they've had as a family, and, and equally other families feel as though they've had from the likes of the PFA and other sort of governing bodies of the football. I think what we were just kind of talking about off air here, which was probably the most relevant thing for us, is as supporters, as as fans of the game, the way that we would look upon it from the outside. Obviously, we can't comment on the sort of processes that go on within the game, but it just appears from the outside. That despite the overwhelming evidence put to football, it seems in a lot of senses it's still happy to just bury its head in the sand with this. We we reference the Rael Jimenez and, and, and David Luiz incidents from the other week. This happened countless countless amounts of times. Someone like Ryan Mason obviously had to retire due to a head injury. We've had Chris Sutton's done a lot of talking and a lot of work to try and raise this issue for former footballers. And for Annie Moss and for, for Jeff Astles as well. And and, and, and I mean, the, the list is just endless. The, Nobby, the, the, Nobby, Styles, Nobby Styles, Bobby Charlton. Bobby Charlton. The it's list just, goes on. I just, mean, half of that, I mean, most of that squad's... Yeah, I think it's six of them, isn't it, have died from dementia. The propensity for footballers of a certain era to develop dementia yeah. is significantly higher than the, the general public is. Mm-hmm. I think there are two elements of this. The first element is what, what, what can football be doing more like what can football be doing better? Which the list is is endless. Yeah. And I suppose the second element of it is is for families and 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 for loved ones like Nikki and, and and like her family. Like what can you know? What can they do? Like what you know? How are they meant to, to deal with this? And Nikki gave us loads of stuff that yeah. the the way that they've dealt with it as a family and that sort of thing. And I think their their example can be you know can give hope to some people. And it's 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 a desperate situation, but it's 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 one that you can get through mm-hmm. together and, and they've been able to show that but for us as fans then Anton we were just discussing it there when you look upon this when you look upon the way that football treats these things I mean you only have to look at what Troy Deeney said the other week which was one of the most ridiculous things that's ever been said in a broadcast and that goes some for football uh, I you know what I listened to it and then I was just astounded how he went from and you know, you know let's be let's be fair here like, you know, where the likelihood of us meeting Troy Deeney is very slim. Uh, you might think that we'll just talk about him and, and, and kind of, you know, rubbish what he said and, and stuff quite easily. But if we did meet him, I'd say exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, and like that, that It's sounds, dangerous. What he's saying is dangerous. It is. And, you know, from what he said in the summer around the COVID situation, how he was so scared to go back to training. And look, that is absolutely fine. Yeah. Absolutely fine. But that the, was linked to his, his son. His yeah, son absolutely, and I I completely agreed with it. It was really difficult, and it's a really difficult situation. And the players in the summer looked to me as if they went, "Oh, we're quite aware now." To then go um, onto that horrible talk sport and and and, and talk in that way and go basically imply that 
you know, players know best and don't uh, listen to a doctor. Don't listen to a doctor and you know, get up and get on with it kind of attitude. Do you know the thing that, that irritated me the most about it? He said there has to be a level of trust between the player and the doctor. Well that works both ways, yeah, Troy. Yeah. Because you've got a medical professional there who's telling you who's yeah. giving you medical advice. It'd be like him telling you how to play up front. It and and and, and you just ignoring it. Just, <laughs> I was just like He's the doctor. Yeah, I, I was just. They should have. They should be given more authority. The doctor should be able yeah. to say he's not coming back on here. Absolutely. And I, I was really, really disappointed. And and you know that's a, it's a current player that. Yeah. He had a chance. High profile to, yeah, player as high well. High profile. Who current, knows yeah. his voice matters to people. Absolutely. And he had a chance to, to say something there where where people could have listened and people could have gone, yeah, that's good. And I, I think he he just. I mean, whether it's a, a lack of understanding of it or, or or whatever it is. It was really poor, and it's something that you know to suggest that that managers would uh, abuse a, 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 a concussion substitute. I mean, I he, I mean, the thing is, I, I think Mark Chapman was talking about this on Match Day too. He was saying, even if they do, is it worse than allowing players to continue to play with head injuries when we know what the dangers are? No. Because I think what he, I think the way you have to look at these things is that okay, so if we introduce this, this is how these are the downfalls of it. Okay, compare it to what we're currently doing. Yeah. Is it better or worse? Well, it's clearly better. Yeah. If people abuse it for tactical means, then they abuse it for tactical means. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, I, th- it, I think it's um, like it's like eradicating really terrible tackles. Yeah. And going, yeah, but players are going to dive. I said, is that worse than people get like broken legs and stuff all over the gaff? Yeah, it, it look, it's it, it's just. It was, it was maddening, and it's a convers. It, it comes up all the time, and this conversation comes up. Someone will come out and say something. In rugby, we've had Steve Thompson, former World Cup winner, come out and say, "I can't remember the World Cup final." Mm. That's the biggest moment of his life. And Steve Thompson's a great player, like one of the you know first, well, one of the starting marauding forwards that you see now in a game that makes it so entertaining. And Matt Dawson comes out today and says, "Well." I don't agree with that. But that's fine. But that's not the point. Like yeah. from your point of view, that's fine. It's not about individuals. Yeah, exactly. It's about the whole kind of. It's a collective, isn't yeah, it? It's looking exactly. after everybody. It's the same with so with the coronavirus. You get loads of people who go, "I'm not wearing a mask. I'll take the risk on myself." Yeah. Well, it's not about you. Yeah, it's about everybody. Exactly. And I think that it's a it's a really you know it's just disappointing over and over again. Rugby's come so far. It, we you know they got blood injuries and they have got concussion substitutes and. They've done really well with it. There has only been one instance that I know of where, you know, back in, I think it was around 2009, possibly, I think Harlequins basically cheated and said, gave a fellow... Oh, I remember this. Gave yeah. a fellow a blood capsule, eat that. Oh, you pour him a blood, we'll get our kicker back on. Like, they, yeah, that's that's downright cheating. But they got banned for that. They got, yeah. you know, they got sorted. So there is a, a repercussion from that. Um and if that happens, that happens. Yeah, you deal with it exactly. It's, it's just, not the just reason because somebody, to stop. yeah, just because yeah. someone might cheat is not a reason yeah. to, to lower your standards on safety. I mean, we were talking about um, Christoph Kramer yeah. before we recorded, who started for Germany in the 2014 World Cup final, got a head clash. 14 minutes later, he told the referee he had to ask him what game he was playing in. <laughs> it was the World Cup final. At which point, the ref then told Schweinsteiger, who then told the bench, and yeah. then. And then they they substitute them off. That was the World Cup final, and it took fifteen minutes yeah. for him to be and substituted. I think that you know there's so much um, so much research that shows that you know the the second hit is hard. It, it can be can be pretty much fatal yeah. at, at any point. And we've seen it with um, you know the best thing about cricket is you know fast bowling versus a batsman, and it's amazing. And we've seen you know incidents. You know Steve Smith last last year in the Ashes hitting the head by 
by Joffrey Archer, perfectly fine in in the game to bowl a ball like that. It's not to be outlawed. It you know yeah. you, you, you just deal with the, the yeah you deal with it. You you go with it. You know, and he he went off and came back out, and you're thinking that ball's just hit you back of the head. Ah. Uh, 90 you know the conversation that will have happened in there yeah, exactly. a medical professional will have said my recommendation would be that you don't play on yeah and then somebody that's that's not medical will have said how do you feel yeah. and he said i feel fine right well you're playing on yeah, then and it, how do you do you want to continue and, and of course a player is going to say i want to continue yeah because they as we've mentioned a billion times with relation to mental health they're not in a position to go i, I don't feel comfortable playing on yet because the, the, if they don't, someone take their place, they might not get back in, and mm. then there's a litany of problems on the back of there. They need to be empowered to be able to say, "I don't want to. I don't want to play on here." Yeah. Or the doctor gets final say on it. Unless the doctor says you're allowed to play on, then you're not allowed to play on. Absolutely, and I, I, you know, Smith, and the referee will send the referee just sends you off if you yeah. try and come back on again. Smith Smith goes back out, plays for a little bit, doesn't look very comfortable looks a bit awkward I think he hits a few shots and then gets out by not playing at a ball and and then the next day wakes up and goes I'm concussed I'm not playing we'll get a concussion substitute in okay that's fine you've done the, you've done that but it's it's, it's too late it's too late and if he got yeah. hit again you, you're looking at it and you're going that's that's not good enough it's the same situation with David Louise. The fella this, literally had blood pouring yeah, out of his dude. wound on his head. And we were watching it. I was sat watching it on Sky Sports. Yeah. I assume along with millions of other people around the world who were sat watching this. Mm. That is a human being. That is like a, like a person. Like in no other context would someone be allowed to go back to work with blood pouring out. Imagine you worked. And I know we say this and it's not an accurate comparison. But just imagine you worked in an office yeah. and somebody banged their head on the wall mm. and cut their head. And then he went off to see whoever the the the, the nurses or the doctor, yeah. whoever it is who works in that in that building, or a paramedic turns up to mm. sort them out. And they come back into work and they sit on the desk next to you, and they've got a head bandage on, and then the blood just starts pouring through it. Mm. And they and they were like, no, "You fine. probably need to get sorted," you know. And then the boss went, "Have you done that spreadsheet, David?" Mm. Uh, no. Well, you you best get it finished <laughs> before you leave. Okay. He, the fella is literally ble- bleeding from his head. I'm picturing David Louise doing spreadsheets, but which well, would be quite funny. Well, I suppose, like, <laughs> so, so go back so to with boxing. I'll, yeah, I'll give you yeah. the boxing example. So, if a cut gets too bad, the, the, the fight stopped. Uh, and this is a sport where you get hit in the head, you get hit in the body. And even they know, like, obviously, there are very, very, well, there's quite a few examples where it's, it, you know, referees haven't done the job and, and, and like, and, but, the, you know, there is a doctor there, and a doctor comes over and goes, no. Yeah, we're not playing uh, anymore. Uh, no, no, yeah. no more. <laughs> That's enough for you. Uh, that's it, and that's it. That's final. Even a trainer can do that. And it, you know, and, and, as soon as that decision's made, it's not. Oh, we're unsure. Yeah, and it's it's it's, it's top do down with these it? things. So, I've played. I so I played in loads of matches where I've had a crack on the head mm. or a crack on the face or you know something where probably I shouldn't be playing on. Mm. It gets patched up. They stick a bit of um, Vaseline on it, and they, they and you run back on the pitch, and yeah. then you come off every time it splits open, and you. Put it back on again, but that's top down. Yeah, you can't expect the grassroots to be able to do it properly. The professionals aren't to it. No. So if, if if you're a grassroots football and you're looking at it and go, "What's well, happened? Louise came back on. Why should I have to go off? I only get to play forty once a week. Yeah, and I might get a lockdown again next week and I won't be able to play. Yeah. I'm coming back on here. And and going back to to to, to Ernie and Nicky, it wasn't 
so much a head injury with it, and it's that repeated sure. head into the ball that they know is now dangerous. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another thing that I was when I was doing some research for this episode. So, um, professional footballers post their career mm-hmm. are twice as likely to develop osteoarthritis than than general members of the public. Yeah. Now, you can say that's probably understandable because of the pressure they yeah. put on their joints compared to to other. Absolutely, but is that something that we talk about? Is that is is the physical demands that we put on individuals? Is the provisions for that clearly in the case of Nikki and and, and their family? Mm. They didn't even get acknowledgement from Gordon Taylor from the PFA. All they wanted was someone to acknowledge it. That's yeah. all they wanted. It's not about apportioning blame. It's no. not about that, and it's never been about that for 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 Nikki or for for um, for Jeff Astle's family mm. or for Chris Sutton. Now it's not about apportioning blame. It's like right, we've identified a problem. It's fine that we got it wrong before. Well, it's not fine, but it happens. Yeah. We're not going to get anywhere by blaming anyone. Let's come up with a solution. But what football's doing? seemingly as an organisation and in individual cases there will be people trying to help yeah. Bournemouth have been quite outspoken about heading the ball at a young age mm. and, and, and were they the first team to, to have their kids teams not heading the ball at a certain age Eddie Howe was quite was quite outspoken on that wasn't he I think- uh, but the, 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 as we've seen with loads of these things and mental health is a big one on it but this is this is, this is is just as big is the, the 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 sport itself needs to take a lead on it, and everyone else will follow. You have to take a lead. Mm. Same with, same with racism. Same with any of these things. You've got to be seen to be doing the, the right thing to expect anyone else to do it. And I just don't think that they. I think it, it links back to that thing of treating footballers mm. and sports people as commodities. You know, how I, quickly can we get them back on the pitch? Yeah, I look at I look at um, other sports as well, and I don't think I wouldn't say for for like, football seems like the one that's being picked on. Yeah, and I think that's what. When when it happens, because it's the most high profile. Yeah, sport, when, it? when it when it happens to football, particularly in this country, it, it goes in on itself and goes, oh yeah, but everyone else is annoying as well. Yeah, or oh, everyone else is doing something bad, and when it's not just us, and it's like that's not the point. Yeah. Come on, but, but it's you like getting start for speeding and saying, look how yeah, many other people are speeding. It's yeah, like, you still you still done what we told you not to do. Yeah, and you look at all these the the other sports. You know, I look at the NFL. It's a, it's a prime example. There's a there's a really good book on it. There's you know a really good film on it as well. And um, you know they they were basically staring at billions of of pounds being paid out to these players, yeah. and which was right. You know it was right that they they should have had that. You know the repeated hits, the being pressured to go back out and play, and it yeah, it's not perfect. I wouldn't say it's perfect now. There are still you know aspects of of American football that you know you can do your ACL a couple of times and still carry on playing mm. so when you're talking about arthritis and, and things like that in your, in your later age you know how much welfare you're giving them it's like it's, a player it's being really informed about the, the long term damage yeah, that they're doing to their body exactly but you know on the other, end, other side of that it's you know there is a responsibility from the players I, I, I do agree that's fine but you know they've they've gone through a, a system of you know there are doctors there and if, if they're ruled out they're ruled out at the start of, of that I, I believe there used to be a Situation where they get in the, they have a blue medical tent on the sideline. This is the NFL. Yeah, and they they basically used to go in and, and go, they do like a test for concussion, um, and they'd have like questions to answer, but the questions always used to stay the same. Mm. So they just rem- like try and remember the 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 answers basically, yeah, and get back out on the field, yeah. Which, it, it, you know, when you start starting these things, 
seems like, oh, why did we ever try that? But yeah. they, they, changed, they, changed, they changed the process now. Start and lane and review. And, yeah. and, and if it, the thing is, it's like this concussion substitute thing mm. that we were talking about, about being abused. Okay, if it doesn't work, you review it and you improve it. Mm. You're happy to do that with VAR. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. VAR, VAR, there are loads of things that are wrong with yeah. VAR. But you're not just going, oh, this doesn't work, let's not use yeah. it. You, 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 you're happy to, to review and try and improve it. You, that's that's how anything gets better. And I think going back to the NFL, it's, it's like you look at it now and, and I've got a mate who, who loves the NFL and tells us about the the, the days in like the 90s and 70s and, and 80s and all that. And, you know, they used to hit quarterbacks hard. Mm. And I mean, if you played in... You look at it and you go, well, you got pads on and stuff, but the, the hits are hard. And yeah. they, they, you know, it's, it's the rattling, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's 300-pound guys tackling each other. And, you know, you might look at it now and go, well, quarterbacks get a little bit of an easier time. Obviously, you've stopped, like, head-on-head clashes. You can't do that. You know, defenseless plays, you can't do that. Like sparing him. It's, it's, it's a brutal sport. And, and even with quarterbacks, they want quarterbacks. They realised quarterbacks are quite entertaining for the game. It's yeah. quite nice yeah, when yeah, teams yeah. score points. And, you know, some people aren't quite happy with that, but... You know, you've got to protect these people, and it's the same in rugby. You know, let's protect these people. Let's just not knock people off the game. You can't yeah. just do that. That's not, you know, these contact but sports. I-, I saw a video this morning actually, and I'll, I'll we'll put it up on Twitter. Yeah. Um, there's a an game in Australia. I think it's a, an Australia A game, and basically, you know, because obviously the, the sports we're talking about at the moment are all contact sports, but it happens. Obviously, we mentioned cricket, but it happens yeah. quite a lot. Um, guy gets hit in the face with a ball from from when you know the batsman's played a shot and it's basically come straight back at him, yeah. which never kind of used to happen as much. You know, yeah, those type of shots never really happened until like I'd probably say more recently um, to go straight at at the bowler, um, and he gets hit in the face and he's straight off. You know, he's straight off. So there is a learning process and yeah. there is a, the pro, a a big thing about it. Um, and it's quite shocking like you look at it and you're going you're quite lucky there that's not it and you're yeah. in the temple but it does hit him inside of the face but you know it's, it's a learning process but football doesn't but, seem to want to do it no, at the moment well, fo- which, football which often seems like the type of it seems like it. Oh, we we don't need to listen to that we don't yeah. need to listen to that and, and, and like you don't want to hammer it mm. because as you say it's, they're not the only guilty party mm. in this but equally you've got the resources mm. you've got the knowledge You've got people coming out and saying this is a problem; it needs sorting. So just and the solutions generally are quite simple. The, the the thing is, generally now, the footballs are such that they're not the big heavy balls that people no. used to play with. The game is now played in such a way that there isn't anywhere near as much heading as there used to be, and that will continue to to, to go out of the game mm-hmm. as, as the way that the game develops, or at least that's the trend that's going on at the moment yeah, yeah. and has been for a, a long time. You've got basically endless amounts of cash to give to people to play mm-hmm. the game. You've got the resources mm. to put things in place so that you can regularly check up on people, so that you can give them the information that they need, and just empower the the, the medical professionals to say you're not medically fit to get out on that pitch. Didn't they? Um, didn't they release how much he'd spent on it? Uh, the the PFA. I was some ludicrously like small amount. Well, because because couldn't say they get paid like two million pounds a year yeah. or something. All he did, and, and that was kind of widely publicised. Yeah. And then the amount that had been given towards. Uh, research in dementia and part of that was the field study yeah. was just minuscule yeah. in comparison and I do think in a way I don't know how helpful it is to compare the salaries yeah. with the man but I do think it's quite stark in the fact that 
this is a thing. So there are literally people dying of this. Mm-hmm. Like literally people who are dying from this all the time. And you can't even be bothered to phone up those people who are... Yeah, I, think also, I think the thing with the PFA, what people forget is, it's the players' union. Mm. They pay into that for their whole career to represent them. Yeah, it, it's... Um, and, and like there are a lot oh. of amazing things that the PFA do, a lot of amazing people who work there. But it, but I wonder if part of it is, like as I say, that they're being, they feel maybe that they're being targeted for mm. this, so they're, they're burying their head in the sand about it rather than doing something. Yeah, and I think... Because as, that, that means admitting some kind of liability. Yeah, and I think, as as Nikki said, you know, when we were speaking to her, like, this year must have been, we spoke about it, it must have been so hard for yeah. her, you know, obviously, it's been a worldwide pandemic, there's, you know, we know about the issues with care homes and, and stuff like that, so I think... It must be really difficult, and for to not have any acknowledgement from the sport that he no. gave so much to, yeah. you know, is it's really it's just it's just really sad. You can't, you know, in my eyes, you know, there's been so many football players and you know represent clubs and and give them that, you know, give them the money basically. You know, the the, the players give the the league the money basically. Mm-hmm. In, in my eyes, they make it entertaining, they make it good. It's about the players. Yeah, That's what it's about. Exactly. Nobody and turns up on a, on 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 a match day because they're a fan of Golden Taylor, exactly, or they're a fan of the administrators. And I just think it's important to not even contact them. I haven't seen much come back from from what Chris Sutton said or, or anything like that. And it's been news, and it will just go away again yeah, until it, until the next instance happens. It's poor, and you know, for for Nikki and her, and, her, and her family. You just want just acknowledgements and just say like yeah. this. Sh- this won't happen to yeah. to, to anyone this, else. This shouldn't have happened. Yeah. We've learned from our mistakes, mm. and it won't happen again in future. Because I suspect for people who who were like Nikki and, and other families who were mm. who have gone through it and are going through it, probably something that is hard for them to swallow is like there will be other families who have to deal with this because there are simple actions not being mm. taken. And, and, I and I think that's the that's the, the be all end all yeah. is that these things are quite simple. Yeah, and you know And not they're not even expensive either. I mean Nicky was talking about wanting is there some way the PFA can set something up so that Ernie can go and have a kick about. Yeah. Just it's just crazy. just 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 it's rent crazy. some just rent some five aside pitches. It's crazy, isn't it? For like forty quid an hour. Even, Do you know what I mean? Even, it's it's not these are they're not asking for like they're not asking for the world. No, they're just asking for you. You were you you represented these people, and you didn't do the job that you were that they thought you were there to protect them, and you didn't do it properly. Yeah, and they're not asking for that. It's they're not even asking for like like anything other than just a basic acknowledgement of that yeah. fact and be involved in the process that the families are having to go through. It's it must just be so hard for them as well. You know, we, we I speak to her. I spoke to her about it on there, and. It, just sad, isn't it? You know, oh well, I gave everything to this game, and they never gave me anything back. No, and it's and it's poor. And it, you've got like, many examples of that through throughout throughout all of it. And and to fall even then, you know, back in the seventies, you know, it was, it was decent money, but it wasn't. You know, it's not enough to no. to survive on no, for the rest of, course of not. And we've and we've spoken about it on the last so. episode with Robbie Simpson as mm-hmm. well about the amount of players at that level has to get paid. It would have been even less in mm-hmm. in any time as well. So, I just I just think, unfortunately, like so many other things. That it's 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 like a problem that football doesn't want to deal with, and a lot of times I wonder if they they're hoping it'll go away, but it's not going to go away. It's only going to no, get it worse. Shouldn't, it shouldn't go away, and and what needs to happen is if anyone's listening to this and anyone knows of any incidents about that, raise it and raise and, it, and, and, and even if it's it. even if it's an amateur level, yeah, flag even it. If, even if it's an, if it's an amateur level, and see what you get back yeah. because 
you know, I I think the one thing about amateur football, I think, which probably most of the people listening will relate to, is when you look around, you're you're in, you know, whatever you're playing, you know, are the facilities there if I get hurt? And and people feel a lot more comfortable when there is someone there yeah. who knows what they're doing, and hasn't just on a I first day course. You, you and I coach the kids' football team. Yeah, if there was someone had got injured, it was us. You yeah. were basically. It was always the referee and the other managers. Yeah, so let's let's maybe you know it just needs to it needs to stay in the news and it needs to stay stay relevant and I'm sure it will because yeah. it, it, it's happening too much. It's happening to big prominent figures in the game yeah. and uh, hopefully you know at some point with you know maybe a change in the PFA it it can become a lot better because it, it definitely needs to. Yeah, because you're just destroying the history of the game. Yeah, and you're talking about what individuals can do. There are obviously some different organisations that people can get involved in. There is obviously the, the Jeff Astle Foundation, mm. which was set up by Dawn Astles, which is which is which was Jeff's daughter. Mm. Um, so you can you can find them at the JeffAstleFoundation.co.uk, and then there are a couple of charities as well. There, there are loads of charities, but the, the two biggest ones in in this country are the Alzheimer's Society, um, which is Alzheimer's. Dot org dot uk mm. and then there's also dementia uk which is dementia uk org so you can go on there and you can you can contribute to them get involved in them they've got services and things that they offer as well to families and to and to and to, to people who are suffering with dementia and alzheimer's too so in terms of things that people can do at a grassroots level as so ha- often happens with these things it, it should come from the top down but it often comes from the ground up and there are things that we can all do to get involved and, and try and improve the situation and we'll put all those links on the bio for this episode and also we'll stick them on on twitter as well and tag some people in so you can you can see that as well um that's probably a good time for us to to wrap up there and absolutely yeah thanks for thanks for your time again today mate yeah, no problem and uh, if you want to find us on twitter you can find us at marking underscore man and what's that hashtag people need to be using and where's the talking lads where's the talking lads we're going to leave you with nikki's quick fire thank you for listening and we'll see you next week so nikki Chesterfield moved from Saltergate to their new stadium about 10 years ago. you prefer Saltergate or the new stadium? Oh, that's a tricky one because Saltergate was sort of my childhood home, but I got married at the Pro Act and Dad walked me oh. down the aisle. So, oh. Feel bad making choose now. I can't call on that. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and the Pro Act now. It now has Ernie Moss way outside it, so mm. yeah, that's a tough they're, they're both completely yeah, that's a toughie that one. What is your favourite biscuit with a cup of tea or coffee? I'm gonna go completely randomly because I don't drink tea or coffee, so I'd like a bag of chips and a <laughs> pint of lager. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. <laughs> That sounds much better, to be honest with you. Much yeah. <laughs> In fact, me and my husband were just talking about this earlier. I said, oh, I'm quite a cheap date, really. <laughs> chips and a pint, and I'm a happy girl. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, what song would you sing in the car alone, but you wouldn't sing in front of anyone else? Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm quite happy. I'm not shy about all my uh, oh, with the... guilty pleasures. You know, I'm massive. Take that fan, and I like S Club Seven. This is where we have I'm to throw quite, this you know, S Club Seven now. <laughs> oh no! You no, just you said really you wasn't shy. But <laughs> no, I can't sing. But um, no, you see, I'm quite. You know, like what you know when you go to a wedding reception and they have like 
cheesy music overload that is like my idea of heaven <laughs> so <laughs> sort of, I just sort of sing along to whatever um my daughter my youngest daughter probably has better musical taste than me my dad always he liked meatloaf and stuff so we always had meatloaf on in the car oh, um, we had a question the other week Maybe Danny can add the, add the meatloaf question in later. Um, Nicky, what's your dad's most like memorable moments of his career? Scoring uh, when he sort of got over two hundred league goals, that was a big one for him. Uh, having a testimonial at Chesterfield, um, he played at Wembley before a. Um, FA Cup final, I believe it was, because he used to play in a lot of um, charity matches with Emlyn Hughes and Chris Waddle and oh, yeah. the like. Um, so we went to watch. So for him to play at Wembley, um, you know, was a biggie. Nicky, Sir Montague Burton, founded with the Burton fashion chain, opened his first store in Chesterfield in the 1900s. Does everyone in Chesterfield wear plain polo shirts and jeans? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That bit, it's, it's up now. It's now a Greg's. Oh. Now it's a Greg's. Yeah. So, so now everybody just eats, you know, cheese and onion pasties instead. But yeah, there is um there is a bit of a uh, a polo shirt kind of and jeans look that um in Chesterfield. Yeah, so the reason that the reason that question's in there is because I go to Burton quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've, not, oh, we've not got one now, though, so yeah, it's just a Greg. To be I fair, he also goes to Greg's quite a bit, so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, can't myself because I, I came, on the, uh, came on the camera before eating a Domino's, so... <laughs> <laughs> Nicky, Meatloaf once um, sang, I would do anything for love, but I wouldn't do that. What is the craziest thing you've ever done for love? For love. For the love of my dad, me and my sister have had his autograph tattooed on our wrist. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. That's, that's yeah. quite nice, that, yeah. That is nice. <laughs> Yeah, that it was very painful, <laughs> but yeah, we we've got matching because uh, dad, because like all our childhood, we were like forever stood next to him while he's signing autographs, and we were like, God, dad, hurry up! And then about a year ago, he stopped being able to sign his autograph, so we said, right, we're going to get it done. So we've both got it on the inside of our wrists. Um, it was very painful, but we did that for love. And Bill Green will take it. Moss knocks it down and tries the shot and scores the goal. Bernie Moss. 1-1. 16 minutes of the first half gone, and Ernie Moss knocks in his 12th goal of the season, and 
does he look pleased? And then the other fellas look surprised. He's looking for that left foot, and it was Baines who got in the way. Now Kowalski looking for Moss. Oh, fine goal, Annie Moss. He hasn't got away from uh, Baines too often, but when he has, he has punished Walsall. It's 3-2. There's Walker going in. Now Salmons to knock it way across there again, looking for Birch. And that must be another one. And Moss is claiming that as his hat-trick. It's 4-3. 44 minutes gone, we've got a minute left. Can Chesterfield still pull something out of this game? Walker here. The ball wide. Salmons knocks it far post. Looking for Birch. Now we look for Moss getting the touch. His hat-trick this afternoon.